Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm and the Capital Club community, visit our website at www.excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome back to the Capital Club Podcast. Today I'm here with Keegan Alba. Keegan, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, Brad. Absolutely. I always enjoy having fellow NESCAC alums on the show. I went to Wesley and I saw that you're a Colby guy, so that's always fun. Yeah, it's always nice to know someone who knows what NESCAC is. (laughs) Absolutely. It's a small community, but my wife went to Wesley and my brother went to Wesley, and so we're big NESCAC people. Okay, yeah, my partner went to Colby and my brother went to Colby. So we are, we're also a, a NESCAC family. I love it. I love it. And you're in Burlington, right? Yeah, I've been in Burlington, Vermont for, yeah, about like 13 or 14 years now. Nice. Yeah, I'm from upstate New York and I spent a fair amount of time in Burlington growing up. It's a very cool place. Oh, um, yeah, we love it here. Yeah. So as brief background, Keegan is the founder and executive director of Dad Guild a grassroots nonprofit organization whose mission is to support and empower fathers by offering opportunities for connection, education, and community engagement. And, and before we went live, I mentioned to you that I had Paul Sullivan on the show to talk a little bit about kind of his Wall Street background, but then what he's doing now within the dad community. And that's how I found you. I've gone down a little bit of a rabbit hole. So if you could, before we get into the specifics, provide your background, how you got involved in this work, what that looks like. Yeah, for sure. So my background, I've been working in nonprofits for about 20 years now, and I worked primarily with teenagers in a variety of educational settings in teen centers, boarding schools. And then I was an educator at a classroom at an alternative school for about a decade. And yeah, so my, you know, my background is like conflict resolution and kind of like mental health, social work. 
And some of my education background at Colby was exploring masculinity and, you know, what are these messages that we're sending, particularly young people about, you know, what does it mean to be a man or what does it mean to be a woman or how that impacts people's development and their perspective on the world. And for me, when I became, I have two children, I have two daughters, a six-year-old and a four-year-old. And when I became a dad back in 2016, I was like so stoked. I'm like, all right, what's what's out there for dads? Like I'm I'm really into like getting with a bunch of guys talking about how we're feeling and just like really embracing that vulnerable side of ourselves. And I was shocked. And there was like, you know, I live in Burlington, Vermont, which is seen as a pretty progressive city in this nation. And I was shocked when there was like there was one offering targeted for dads that was like a one group that met one day a week at one time. And then there was, there was a lot of offerings for, for moms and there should be more. And I just remember thinking like, okay, like this is how it looks in Burlington. Like, how does it look in other places? And when I started thinking about that and then researching and reaching out to people and learning a bit about, oh, there actually isn't a whole lot going on. So then I, I facilitated a group at a yoga studio and for new dads. And it was funny, like when we, the first day, it was like, we met once a month for nine months. And the first day I was like, hey, why, why are you all here? And everyone's like, oh, because my, my partner made me and my wife made me. And I was like, oh, shoot, <laughs> no one wants to be here. Okay. But then, you know, we leaned into it. And about nine months later, when, it, when we wrapped up, everyone's response was, this was a hole in my life that I didn't know existed. And what, what do we do now? And that's when I was like, oh, okay. So people might not be actively searching out for this, but when they're exposed to this kind of different way of being and an opportunity to engage in this side of themselves, they dig it. And so what can we do? And then from there, it was just, I started reaching out to a bunch of dads of young kids that I knew to kind of be like, hey, is there anything that exists? What communities are you a part of? What would you like to see? And then I just started reaching out to community service providers and then pretty quickly realized that, oh, actually community service providers have been waiting for something that really engages dads dads have been waiting for something that's really engaging to them. And so, yeah, that's when we just started Dad Guild. And what started out as a group of a couple guys meeting awkwardly at a playground has now grown to Vermont's largest fatherhood network. We have over 700 fathers of young kids. We've developed and implemented over 500 hours of programming. Yeah, it's it just it keeps growing. And it's just been a really exciting process to be a part of. Yeah, it's it's impressive. And like I said, before we went live, I've got two boys, nine and six, and I've kind of also become trying to get engaged with just understanding what it means to be a father in today's modern age. And I'm curious, you know, what in your community and in your engagement with this world, what do you think the biggest need is right now amongst fathers? Yeah, I think this is the long game that we're playing forever. Men have been conditioned to be tough kind of hold it all in don't show your feelings don't show your emotions don't be vulnerable and i think that right now what's really important is to model this different way of being for men and for dads and just to like really put it out there and i think to do it in a way that really meets dads and men where they're at i think sometimes you'll see like playgroups or parenting groups and they'll say, oh, like all parents welcome or all caregivers welcome, which is great. And I think that's a, that's something that's really important. And I think we do have to design things that like specifically target 
men and fathers in a way that makes them want to engage. So it's part of our work is like making it fun and making it cool and just putting it out there. Because I think the more and more that we see that and the more and more that people are exposed to this kind of like healthier version of masculinity and a different way of being, I think that's what's most important right now. It's interesting. Last week, I was reading this article in the New York Times about how hard it is for middle-aged men to have friendship, like deep, (laughs) deep, meaningful friendship. I'm sure you read the article and it got sent around to your crew, but it's true. I mean, I'm 40 and I tell people, you know, who are willing to listen to me, I think, I think the biggest challenge facing, you know, 35 to 55 year old men in America today is loneliness. Oh man, I could, I could go on this for a while because it's just like this combination of, and then particularly when you, when you combine that with parenting, where like, cause like when you become a parent, it becomes a pretty isolating experience because you're just like in it and you're so busy and it's really easy to put like social connections on the back burner combined with the fact that men overall are just like, I mean, there's so much research that has shown over the past 30 years, the number of friends that men have is like cut in half. And then you look at the suicide rates of men, which is like, I believe about sevenfold that of other folks. And it's like, oh my gosh, we have a pretty serious issue on our hands. And yeah, and you know, there's some research, I think back in like 2015 or 2016 from Massachusetts General Hospital about when fathers, expected fathers, when they were surveyed, one third of them said they had no one to talk to about being a dad. And then so you're like, oh my gosh, we're combining this fact that like men aren't having nearly as many friends. They're isolating. They're struggling with mental health stuff. They're committing suicide. They're becoming a parent where it's like incredibly stressful and they have no one to talk to about this. Like, oh my gosh, this this is a really big problem. Yeah, so I mean, how do you fix it? How do you solve it? What have you seen work within the community that you serve and and the connections that you've made? Yeah, you know, I found just sometimes, and I think this can be true for all adults, is like sometimes you just, you need someone to like set the table for people to like come out to eat where it's like, if you leave it up to a bunch of dads or a bunch of men to be like, hey, you know, go arrange your own times to connect and make friends. I think a lot of folks do struggle with that and they're not like jumping to schedule play dates or nights out especially if it brings them some social anxiety. And so a lot of the success we've had is we use this multifaceted approach for engaging fathers in their caregiver roles. And so we offer like 10 different avenues. And it's, you know, we offer activities and and events that are with kids, without kids, in-person, virtual workshops, going out and playing trivia. Uh, We started a podcast. We have a Slack community, a Facebook group. We use the app Marco Polo to provide like peer support groups. We do a campfire. So we we just, we provide as many different avenues. So it's like, hey, whatever you feel most comfortable with, like, what do you feel most passionate about? You can kind of like, that can be your way into the community. And so, you know, over the course of a month, we have, we're averaging over a hundred different fathers participating actively in some form. And what we're finding some, according to some of our research of our community is that the number of dads that people feel they can talk to about fatherhood issues increases by approximately 240% when they participate in our community. And so I think that just by providing opportunities that meet dads where they're at and are high interests and provide a wide range of activities that folks can pick from, I think they'll, they'll come to it. It's just meeting, again, like being innovative and meeting them where they're at as opposed to hey, here's the one opportunity for dads. Come sit in a circle and talk about your feelings. Like not everyone's going to jump at that. 
Yeah, I would I would echo that. We had a close friend of ours, a lacrosse player from Wesleyan, passed away during COVID, and we did this virtual kind of wake for him. And a lot of these guys on who showed up, I thought would I consider them my friends, and I hadn't seen them in 10, 12 years. And so we started doing a of annual alumni lacrosse tournament in Lake Placid, actually. I, I flew up to Burlington and went across the lake in the summer. And it's one of those things that we all decided, you know, I told my wife, like, I, I just need to carve out this space and have it on the calendar every year. Otherwise, I could easily go another 10 years without seeing some of these guys. Yeah. And I think that, Brian, that's, that's so spot on about the, again, like life gets busy between home and work and maintaining a relationship with your partner and exercise. Like, we're all overcommitted. There's just so much going on. And I think it's easy to, especially for socializing, uh, there's not always the immediate, oh, I got this thing done. So it's easy to always put that on the back burner. But we're seeing more and more research that is saying, hey, when people are feeling socially connected, when they have X number of meaningful, deep relationships, they experience less anxiety, less depression. They struggle with fewer mental health issues. And then there's research that's really strongly suggesting that people live longer, happier lives when they have friends. And I think it's one of those muscles too, I've been like thinking a lot about that you really need to practice. Because I think if you go one, two years without really intentionally carving out time to connect with people, it's the same as like when you're training for a marathon, like that muscle starts to weaken and it becomes really challenging. As opposed to if you're like, hey, I'm going to like really intentionally carve out time each week or each month to like socialize with friends or connect with people. I think that's a muscle that just gets stronger and stronger. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's it's hard because you do it feels like as a dad who's in the thick of it, right? I've got my own company. I'm trying to be a good dad. I'm trying to be a good husband, stay fit, etc. It very much feels like a zero sum game. If you're taking a day from one of these things, it's detracting directly from something else, right? And so that guilt factor is so challenging to overcome. Because when I'm traveling to Burlington to do this across thing, it's three days that I'd be spending with my wife or my kids or at, at work. But I don't know, you've, you've got to really think the long game on this, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. And I think that as you're listing off all these things that you're doing, like parenting, exercise, it's just yeah, you know, the visual I always have is like the clown at the circus who's like trying to spin all the plates and like they're going to fall. Plates are going to fall. I'm a big therapy fan and I've been in individual therapy for years and my partner and I are in couples therapy. And just this last week, there's a our therapist. She's amazing. But she was like, you know, in this point in your life, you have to like intentionally choose things that you're going to ignore because you just you can't do all of the things as I'm sure you've experienced that like whenever you feel like, oh, my business is doing really well, or like, gosh, I'm really feeling fit, or I'm connecting with my friends. It's like, oh, all that usually means is that there's one or two areas that you're doing really poorly at, because it's impossible to do everything. And yeah, and I just, I think it's really easy, again, just that social piece, just to always like push to the back. And I think that piece too, you said around guilt, that is something as parents where you feel this like obligation, like, okay, I got to be home. I got to be helping out. I got to be doing this. And, you know, we've come to realize after years that like, hey, if, if we're both trying to just be here all the time and not take time for ourselves and focus on our own self-care, we just kind of, it's like we slowly deteriorate until the point where we're just like miserable people to be around and not helpful. As opposed to if you're like, hey, 
you pick up the kids today, I'm going to go to the gym or I'm going to go hang out with some friends. And then later this week, you do that. I know that I'm a much more pleasant person when I'm when I'm like exercising and like connecting with some friends. My capacity is has increased exponentially. And I'm like way more patient with my kids. I'm well, way more patient partner. And my partner definitely sees that, too. Yeah, my wife and I call it a union break. We give each other 90 minutes on the weekend. And, you know, we discuss it in the morning. It's like, all right, I'm seeking my union break at two o'clock. I'm out until 3.30. And like, you can do whatever you want. You can go work out, take a bath, just go for a walk, drive. Like, that's your time. I think that's really important to have that space because, yeah, you can't, you just get worn so thin so quickly. I was checking out your background. And I saw that some of the work you've done has been within the addiction space. And I'm curious how that informs the work that you do today. Yeah. And so, you know, I've worked with both young people and adults who struggle with addiction. And gosh, addiction can be so complicated. And I think it's really important to develop like a solid understanding of like what addiction looks like. Why do people go down that route? How hard it is to escape it? What communities of support look like? And also when people, you know, we talk about self-care, when people are really struggling with addiction, it's it can be really challenging to like, hey, let's think about all these other things to do when really they're like struggling to survive each day. And one of the ways that we really approach it is I think in our culture, especially like as men, I think it's really ingrained in our society that like using substances, particularly alcohol use, that, hey, that's how you take care of yourself is using. And I know for myself personally, I really struggle with that. Whether or not I'm an alcoholic, I go back and forth because it's really easy to like get home at four and then crack open a beer. And then, you know, you're up for seven more hours. And by the end of the night, you're like, oh, I've had three or four beers tonight. And then times that by seven. And you're like, oh, gosh, I'm having 20 to 30 drinks a week. According to all these online surveys, I'm an alcoholic. But how are we talking about this? And so... I've stopped drinking a few months ago and we have a lot of like really active conversations in our community and not in the way that's, again, trying to like meet dads and men where they're at. Because I think sometimes some of those like big campaigns around like substance use or alcoholism, I think they can be a little off-putting, even though they're super important. But I think there's something about when you have a group of guys together and you're like, oh, I'm I'm ordering a Shirley Temple. People are like, oh, like, why'd you get a Shirley Temple? And then you're like, oh, because I struggle with alcohol. And then someone else is drinking their whiskey and they're like, yeah, me too. And and then you start having this conversation. And it's been really amazing over the course of the past couple of years, the number of really frank and vulnerable conversations that folks have shared about their own struggles with addiction or substance use and how we've created this environment where it's safe to talk about it and it's accepted. And the people who are in leadership roles in our community are also like, hey, I'm struggling with this too. I'm not the expert. I'm having a hard time. So I'm going to be vulnerable as well. And yeah, I think that's been just like a really powerful experience. Does the current market environment have you reevaluating your investment strategy? There may be alternative opportunities you have yet to consider to safeguard your portfolio. We've created an exclusive guide for Capital Club listeners featuring the top alternative investments to consider when strategizing for inflation. Download it today at excelsiorgp.com slash download to learn how you can protect your portfolio, diversify your assets, and take advantage of tax benefits in today's market. That's excelsiorgp.com slash download. Yeah, I think it's much more pervasive than than we think. And I, I'm with you. I stopped drinking during the week because I had the same 
challenge that you did. You go to a happy hour work event on a Tuesday, you have three or four. And then the next thing you know, it's like, oh, you're doing a dinner or you're traveling. And then you're like, oh my God, I'm cranking 30 or 40 drinks a week. And I, I don't know. I got into a place where like, I don't know, is three drinks okay to have on a weekday or four drinks? And I just think it's much simpler for me to just say like, hey, I just, during the week, I just don't do it. And I do feel like it's much more accepted now than it was maybe five or 10 years ago when I go to some of these events. I see more people and it's less judgmental, but it can still be a very challenging environment. And, and I'm with you. I think there's this ident- identity issue that we have. Oh, strong, stoic men who enjoy like a whiskey and a beer and just the pressure from the marketing and advertising world too is just so intense. But part of it is now that my son is nine, I want to be an example for him as well, for sure, because he's going to start emulating my behavior. Yeah, I think that piece around what are we modeling for our children is so important. It's something that I always come back to is whether it's how many drinks am I having in front of my kid or how many handfuls of chips am I eating or is my kid seeing me socialize, exercise? Are they seeing that I'm prioritizing these things? It's something that I always come back to. And I think that piece around identity, like I'm a bearded flannel wearing Vermont guy, you know, it's like craft brew and double IPAs has been ingrained in my identity for so long. And that's what's been a really big challenge is, gosh, this is a big part of my identity. And if I'm removing this thing, how do I how do I continue? Like, who am I? What am I doing with this piece? So that's been like really interesting in introspection and also just like reflection and therapy. And I think also kind of going back to that question of like, how does, you know, addiction and substance use inform our work? That's another thing that I recognize that, and it's, it's tricky, but, you know, I recognize with a lot of men need like a beer in their hand or a drink in their hand to kind of ease some of that social anxiety while also being sensitive to people who like, gosh, it's really hard to be in an, at an event where people are drinking. And so we really intentionally, we have events where alcohol is not present. We have events where alcohol is present. At events where alcohol is present, we make sure that that's not the center. So it's not like, hey, let's come to the bar and just chat. Because that's like, you know, if you're not drinking alcohol, like kind of what are you doing? And so when we do have things that got breweries or get togethers, you know, usually we make sure that there's a board game in place or, you know, you're playing cornhole or there's some kind of activity that, you know, the connection and that activity is the focus. And then people drink or, you know, they choose to drink or choose not to drink. And then by having these honest conversations, I do find that people are responsible and a culture of acceptance of like, hey, whatever you feel like doing, do. I mean, be safe, but. I love ordering a Shirley Temple and, and just knowing that I'm modeling this like way of being that doesn't involve alcohol. I love doing that. You know, my, my wife works and she was out of town for a conference all last week. She got back on, on Saturday night. And so Friday night, I went to a, a holiday party thrown by a, a family friend of ours. It was like a four o'clock type of deal, right? And it was pretty, pretty, pretty large group. And I rolled in there and I was the only dad. It was all, the rest of the group was all women. And it was, I won't lie, it was really intimidating. It was really isolating. And I promised myself that I was not going to drink just because I was, you know, the sole solo parent that night. And I, I felt a pressure to go have a drink just to like start to blend into this space. I, I didn't, but I mean, navigating those things, I think is is really overwhelming for a lot of us. And I just, I don't know, calling out that, just that even in 2022, there are still just these really stereotypical 
protocols that we just seem to to follow that we cannot get away from. Oh, yeah. And I do think that same with the work around like modeling this healthier version of masculinity, you know, very similar to alcohol, where I think there's like, uh, yeah, as you were referring to like, hey, five or 10 years ago, I, I think this would have been more challenging. But nowadays, like, you know, here in Vermont, I'm seeing more microbrews embrace the non-alcoholic beer. And it's and people are having more conversations about self-care and being more open. And so I think I feel that we're moving towards a place that's more and more accepting to, you know, not be using substances or using alcohol. But it's still there. It is really challenging. And it takes and especially when you factor in like, you know, we surveyed our group to be like, hey, like, is there a reason you don't attend events or participate in our programming? And a quarter of people who responded said it's due to social anxiety. And so it's that idea of like, it takes a certain breed of person, like a certain certain breed of person who like, you're a dad and you step into an event and it's all moms and you are like, okay, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be comfortable and I'm not going to consume alcohol. Not everyone has the ability to do that. I think a lot of folks do feel like they need something to take that edge off a little bit. And how do we rewrite that script? I want to pivot to the the workplace. What are you seeing in terms of gender equality within the workplace for bothers? And what are the biggest challenges there, in your opinion? Yeah, it's no no shock to anyone. Like, you know, we live in a patriarchal society and whether it's workplaces or our political world, you know, a lot of the characteristics and qualities are just strong themes of the patriarchy. And one of those, when I think about the workplace, I think about, you know, what are policies that are set in place, whether, you know, through local or national government, state government, and what are workplace policies? And I think family leave is a big one. And it's like, how much leave someone gets after a child enters their family, whether it's through birth or adoption. People who give birth too, moms, people who give birth, like 12 weeks is not enough. Like, you know, you it, that's such a huge deal. And it takes a long time to recover from that. And it's a huge transition. And so more time is needed there. And also for dads and their partner, like, you know, people who give birth and their partners, those partners, gosh, it is so common where like either people don't get any time off, like after the birth of each of my kids, like I had three days off. I had to like use the rest for like, I had to save up vacation time. And it's just really like when moms are the one who are taking that time off and they're or they're and they're leaving the workforce because childcare is so expensive and, you know, dads are staying in the workforce that it's just it's really contributing to this wage gap. And it's really preventing women and people who give birth from having higher up positions in in places of employment where it's easy. It's easier for people who do not give birth to continue to climb up that ladder and earn more money. So I think that the amount of leave that people get after a child enters a family is one of the most important things that I think a workplace can do. And then beyond that, I think about, you know, what are the other policies? And more importantly, like what's the tone at the top? Nowadays, you know, when we're, I've seen some research around like the amount of sick days people have had, parents have had to take parents and caregivers because of their kids being sick over the past couple of months is like astronomical. And you need to have workplaces that are flexible and understanding and that it's not always up to one parent to be the one taking that time. I think it's really important for employers to realize that, hey, both parents need to balance this out. And it's not always a woman's responsibility to be taking this time off and that we need to be supportive of flexible schedules. And one of the pervasive things that I see sometimes is employers will be like, yeah, you have unlimited PTO or we're flexible. You can do whatever. 
and they have that policy. But then in terms of how it's put into practice, uh, there's still this pressure to like not take time off. And so what I would love to see more of is CEOs and higher ups is one, making sure that they're spending time with their family, that they're taking time away and that they're putting those things on their calendar. So people see on their calendar like, hey, my kid has a basketball game. I'm not available. And that when someone's emailing them, that like they're not responding to emails during that time, that they're really showing from the top, hey, we really want people to find this work-life balance that works for them. And we want to be vocal about it and model it. And I think that's so important from folks in leadership to really be modeling and being really vocal about how they're choosing to split up their time. So that kind of creates this culture of acceptance there. Yeah, I agree. As the principal of my firm, I try to be really mindful of you know, starting at five o'clock on Friday. I don't respond to emails. I don't send people messages because if I do, then they all have this sense of obligation that they need to respond. I don't want to have a workforce that's 24-7. Like I want people to have lives outside of work. I want them to have meaningful relationships. I want them to be healthy, et cetera. And I try to take six weeks off a year, right, and model that. And I've got to actually take that time off and show people. Otherwise, they won't feel comfortable doing it themselves. Yeah, I see that time and time again, where folks who are in these leadership roles are, are not taking time off themselves, or they're giving themselves so much, which is, you know, depending on what other responsibilities they have in their lives. And if that balance is healthy, like, you know, great for them, if that's what they love doing. And how are you communicating to everyone else that, hey, just because I'm working, sending an email on a Saturday, which I, I appreciate your practice, Brian, where it's like, hey, I'm not, I'm not going to email at five o'clock on a Friday. You know, for me personally, I sometimes I kind of email at all hours of the day, but that's because the middle of the day, like I'm, I might be going to my kid's classroom to help out and, or I might be taking my kid to swim lessons. So I might be taking out a three hour chunk in the day, which means, you know, I might be working that night, but then I put like in my email, my footer just, or like in my signature, just like, Hey, if you receive this email on a Saturday, like, please know that it's because of my own balance. So I please do not reply to this if this doesn't fit within your work-life balance as well. What are some other kind of false narratives that you'd want to call out in terms of what the general public views as dad culture these days? Yeah, there is this like direct link between like how gender equality is like playing out in the workplace and how that kind of spills over into home where they both impact each other. And one of the things my good friend Kate Mangino, who wrote a book called Equal Partner, she's a fantastic human being. But one of the things that she mentioned in her book is this false narrative how a lot of times dads and men at home will be like, I'm not good at that. But, you know, my partner, she's the one who's like coordinating the birthday parties or the gifts. And like, I'm just not good at that. I can't do that. And I think it's we <laughs> at the society, I think we do kind of fall into this. Yeah, you're right. You're, you're not good at that. But when you look at like, OK, what does you know, keeping track of birthday parties and who's getting gifts, what skill sets does that actually require? And looking at what that dad's role is in the in the professional workplace where it's like, hey, it's it's the same thing. Like you're you're managing details, like you are leading a project and you're creating tasks and you're delegating these tasks and you're keeping track of it and you're reporting out. And like it's a very parallel experience where it's the same skills that you're using, but for whatever reason, you know, it's we've accepted that like, oh, no, men are not good at this piece. And it's like, well, they do more complicated tasks that are very similar at their workplace. So why are we giving them the out here? And so I think that piece around this false narrative, that I think sometimes we're like, oh, men, 
men don't have that side. They can't do this. It's like, well, actually they can and they, they will. Let's be really thoughtful and intentional about how we're engaging them in this process. And like, let's raise the bar a little bit for dads. What's your favorite part about being a dad? Oh, man. Living with two people who just, you know, my daughters are six and four right now. And just living with two people who just have so much excitement and like love for life, especially like during this pandemic where there's been so many times you're like, oh, my gosh, I feel things feel hopeless. And this just feels so everything just feels terrible right now. And then you look down at these two kids who just have like no idea the complexities of the world and like all this awful stuff that's out there. And they're just doing silly dances with their butts and wanting tickle time. And it's like, oh, man, this is just such a nice break. <laughs> and then also, it's really cool to think about what's this like ideal version of a world that I would love to be living in. And more importantly, that I want my kids to be living in. And how can I use my role as a parent and as a teacher to help inform this next generation and like how they're interacting with each other? Because I think that's such a powerful experience that I, I hope everyone's taking the time to really like sit and reflect on. I know it's, we all get busy, but it's like, it's so powerful to be like, wow, I'm really, this is the next generation. And we have this planet that's not going to be here forever, but hopefully with the right practices and teachings, we can teach future generations to take care of it as long as possible. Keegan, I want to thank you for coming on. This has been great. And the work you're doing is really important. And for somebody who's, like I said, in the middle of it, it's really helpful to have these resources that you're providing to people. If folks are interested in learning more about the work you're doing or connecting with you, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Yeah, you can visit us at our website, it's just dadguild.org. You can email me, egan at dadguild.org. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. You can sign up for our newsletter to kind of learn a bit more about what we're doing. And yeah, you can also check out our podcast. We only got a few episodes now, you know, when it's a bunch of dads of young kids who are also working, trying to get things done. And we have one staff member who's not even full time. We do what we can when we can, but I would, you know, I'd start there. Well, for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Please do leave us a rating and a comment about your favorite part of this talk with Keegan. And, and Keegan, something that I asked folks to come on the show, do you have a daily practice that helps bring peace to your life? I would say I do not have an intentional daily practice. I do things that I think contribute to a positive like sense of self and peace, but in terms of like a really intentional daily practice, I do not have one. Good to know. So, so, so thanks, thanks to the reminder. No worries. Well, thank you for sharing everything and, and you know, congrats on all the work you do and, and keep it up. And I look forward to staying in touch. Yeah, thanks so much, Brian. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to listening to it. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Capital Club. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 